Welcome to the podcast of Conversations with Friends, heard every week on KAOI Radio in Maui, Hawaii. Good morning. Welcome to Conversations with Friends with Mary Almwake, exploring ways to live our lives more fully in this wonderful world. We welcome your calls and thoughts at 242-7800. Conversations with Friends is brought to you on KAOI by Unity of Maui, where the heart is at home. Now, here's your host, Mary Almwake. Good morning, Maui. It's James Jacobson sitting in for Mary. Mary is off island. She'll be back on the island later this week and will be in church on Sunday. And, of course, behind these microphones joining us next Tuesday. This week, however, it's going to be me, and we're going to be talking about art in different forms, from the artistic expression in paintings to poetry and wherever your calls and questions take us. We have as our first guest today, Lee Shapiro. Lee, welcome back to this microphone. Thank you. It's good to be back. You were here last week, and yes. uh, one of the things that we'll be talking about uh, later on in the, in the program is this workshop that you are uh, doing on Friday on Cinco de Mayo on the art of melting conflict. Yes. But last week when you were here, we talked a little bit about the fact that you are a a wonderful watercolorist and an artist, and you actually teach people not only how to paint, but how to release their artistic expression in that. And you had a beautiful term for it. You called it the Zen of painting. So we wanted to have you back this week and talk a little bit about that. Great, great. What is the Zen of painting? Well, there's a couple aspects to that. Uh, one is that a lot of, uh, and I do have been teaching painting for many years, uh, one is learning how to see. And if you're going to learn to paint, you need to learn how to see. And a lot of people believe that they are seeing or understanding what they're seeing, but actually when they explore it, uh, they, there's really, and that's part of the art process is learning how to see. And, uh, for example, uh, Sometimes I'll take a glass of water and I'll set it on the table and I'll ask people, what is it you're seeing? And they will say things like, well, I see a cylindrical glass and it has water and it's the glass is smooth and it's reflecting light and uh, the water is transparent and the glass is transparent. And I'll point out that none of those things actually do you see. Those are all concepts about what you're seeing. In fact, what are they seeing? When, when, when you look at a glass so, of water, what do you see? Well, what I'll, what I'll look for are the relationships of shapes, of light and dark and color or edge, hard edge and soft edge. And as you can see those relationships, that's actually more, pure, more what the pure seeing is all about. And that's part of what the Zen is, is, is getting past our concepts and being able to, to really see. And, you know, we've learned to conceptualize from a very young age. We conceptualize our reality. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in fact, that relates also to the material that I teach about how to deal with conflict mm-hmm. because uh, a lot of people uh, don't recognize the distinction between their concepts of what's happening and what was actually happening. But, for example, when we... Um, we're very young when we were first born. We didn't see in three dimensions. We, but by touching objects, we learned that 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 they had, things had uh, dimensionality. Three, dimensionality. So you would, you mean infants see in in two D? Right. right. Do they see colors? And they may see colors. They may not have words for those colors, right. but they do see are aware of color. Well, that's always been one of the, the freaky things that I've thought about. And if you think about it, how do you and I both know that this cup is orange? Right. I mean, we can both identify it as orange, but how do I know that the rods and the cones in your eyes are seeing the same color yes. as I see when it's it's orange? Yeah. Is that part of the idea of, of how we see things? That's that, Those ideas that you're speaking about is definitely related to this. And, and the thing is that we had to conceptualize. Otherwise, mm-hmm. we would walk into a room and there would just be chaos. But right. now we would look at that glass of water and we know what it is. We know its utility. We know what it's for. And so we don't have to deal with it anymore. But the, the difficulty is that that way of conceptualizing also prevents us from really knowing it in a deeper way. So that's sort of like we're, we are stereotyping what a glass of water is. Absolutely. But we just say, oh, that's a glass. And so we create these quick descriptions in our head that dismisses it, that obliterates our ability to really see it. Right. That's right. So how do you deconstruct this seeing process that we all obviously have? Right. So part of it is breaking it down into the elements of design, 
of of recognizing the three aspects of color, which are light and dark, mm-hmm. the hue, where that's what the color is as you go around the color wheel, the difference between red, blue, yellow, and then also intensity, which is the grayness or the pureness of a color. And then also looking at edges, like as uh, in shadow, where you have a soft change of from dark to light versus a, a very abrupt change, which is a hard edge. And so as we can notice those things, then we can start understanding it as an artist needs to understand it, and we can start painting it. But before you do that, people say, well, how do you draw or paint water? Yeah. You know. And the thing is, first you have to learn to see it. And once you learn to see you can paint anything. Now, you, do you see the world this way all the time when you look at things or when you just put on your artist's hat? Well, I noticed that the art process itself uh, really opens me up to that deeper way of seeing. And when I'm in the studio painting and then I'll walk out in nature or whatever, I notice that I'm very sensitive. I'll, I'll just start noticing a lot of things that before that I didn't notice. And wow, sometimes it's so trippy, man. Is that, is that, I mean, that's really why, I mean, kind of that idea that we think of as artists really being engaged and kind of disconnected because they're so connected or they're seeing the world differently. Absolutely. It's a, it's, it just opens. And my students, after doing the, the class, say that they see the world differently than they did before the class. And it's very exciting, the possibility that, that in fact, what you think you've been seeing, you've that those that's not really what you're seeing at all. Now the medium, obviously, you know, uh-huh. as Marshall McLuhan would say, the medium is the message. The medium of watercolors that you that you use as your artistic expression mm-hmm. is so unlike any other medium, at least from my perspective, because it just kind of melts together. The colors just come together. Uh-huh. Is that the way you see life? That it, th- in other words, if you were you, if you were, if you had a different uh, artistic expression, if you used pen uh-huh, and okay. ink or, or oil paint or something, would would you actually train the eye differently? Well, one thing that I like to do with watercolor is that uh, that I really love is when you work wet and wet. That is where the paper is wet, mm-hmm. and you bring the pigment into the paper, and it spreads out and flows. Mm-hmm. Um, and you lo- you regard yourself not as the controller of the painting, but the facilitator. And so you let these spontaneous things happen that you're not really controlling, and then you use those ideas, and you play with those ideas of what shows up. And that's also the metaphor for life, of being able to see yourself not as the controller of life, but as as one who facilitates and works with what is offered to us. And you get into that spontaneous flow. Mm-hmm. And that's that's also part of the Zen. Do you when you when you when you have students because you work with students I guess of all different uh, levels all different ex- experience you know people who've been painting as beginners and people who've been doing it for a while right how do you take someone who's new at this and get them into this mindset uh huh um, well part of it is is by doing these exercises of of learning to see and as you can articulate in this way, what you're seeing uh, in words, you are also bringing forward that deeper understanding. Another thing with watercolor that's kind of interesting is that we don't, as a purist, I don't use white or opaque uh, pigments. Mm -hmm. So if you see a white in my painting, that's the white of the paper. And so if I'm creating a white house or something like that, um, or like in the dove image, the white wings of the dove, the way that you create the shape of that is actually by painting the background. See the world and without... With, that, that's, that's called negative space. And I guess that's akin to sculpture, which has always blown right. my mind because, you know, it's like you are peeling... I mean, the, the, the image is already inside the block of stone or the clay, and right. you're just removing the pieces. So that's, that's right. what you're doing with watercolor exactly. when, you, when you keep white pigment. Exactly. That is fascinating. Let me ask you, you know, when, when people think of Zen and art, they often think of the Japanese brushstroke, uh-huh. you know, where you see this giant white canvas and a very... Elegant, which you think might be a quickly designed black stroke. What's the essence of that? How is that Zen? Well, it's about getting out of the mental mind, getting out of the concepts, and into a place where you are are learning to capture spirit. And and this is uh, another exercise that I'll do with my students. Is I uh, first I'll have them paint with music. And paint with music? Paint with music. We mean listening to it. They're listening. Okay. That's, that's right. They'll, they'll be listening to music, and 
what happens is that they get the, it's the feeling that you get like when you're skiing or mm-hmm. uh, when you're dancing is a better metaphor that where that the music just comes into your body and you resonate with that music and you come up with this exquisite dance when you're out of your head. You're not thinking about where your foot's going to go. You just spontaneously allow that music to flow through your body. And likewise, it, what starts happening when you're painting with music in the background is that your brush starts paint, dancing with that music, if you will. Mm-hmm. And then you understand what Disney did in Fantasia, the relationship of sound rhythms and visual rhythms. That was an amazing thing. And when you're saying that, thinking of the br- of, of the buckets of the pail and the broom, you know, marching across to this right. amazing, a- amazing soundtrack. Yeah, and especially when they did the Toccata and Fugue mm-hmm. in D minor, where you just have abstract patterns mm-hmm. and with the music in the background. I think that was a really good representation of what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. And then taking it the next step then is to, uh, when you understand that relationship, is to look at nature, to be with nature, and feel the rhythms of nature. And it's, it's kind of like, you know, the, this, this song from The Sound of Music, the hills are alive with the sound of music. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and they are that visual pattern. You start uh, taking in that visual pattern like music. And then when you look at nature and you feel that nature as it sits in your body and you let yourself spontaneously pa- paint or dan- you let your brush dance with those rhythms, you get a landscape that not only looks like nature, it feels like nature. It has that essential spontaneity that nature has. And that's the magic is getting you get out of your head and into that vibration in your body where you are connected with what you're what you're perceiving in a very deep way and then it just comes out and that that brush stroke that comes out in sumi-e has that vitality sumi-e that's that's the jap that's, that's the, the right. term for the japanese art brush that's stroke right. and yeah. so there is an energy behind what you're painting yeah. that is is far more significant because what it represents is an energy and not a concept so you could stare at the canvas for a while and get yourself into the state before you physically move the paintbrush. Exactly, exactly. So in many ways, this is a, a wonderful type of therapy, and you're not necessarily trying to create great art, Yes, which may be a byproduct of yeah. it, but in the beginning, what you're really doing is expressing yourself. Right, and there was, so when it becomes about the process and not about the product... Mm-hmm. You know, so the the painting itself becomes the vehicle of you getting to a connected state with spirit. It's like writing to Hana. It's not about Hana, guys. As you all know, it's <laughs> it's about the it's about the trip out there. Yes. And so it is that way. Why is it? I mean, you you watch kids and they just go wild with crayons and watercolors mm. and clay and all that. And as we get older, we become. I mean. Not a lot of adults express themselves artistically right. in this way. Right. What is it? Well, uh, for one thing, a lot of adults, a lot of students will come to me, and somewhere along the line, they were told that they're not good artists, mm-hmm. and that, and and so they're afraid of being seen as is not okay, yeah. and so they're afraid to express that. But we all have that ability, and and everyone can learn to draw. A lot of people think, well, no, you have to have this talent. And I've had many students uh, that have that belief and that once they get into it, they discover that they can learn to draw. And then if it's just seen as an expression, as just a way of releasing something and getting more in touch with your creative aspects, then it becomes an exercise, sort of a meditation. Absolutely, absolutely. That's the that magic is, of it. That is powerful. We are speaking with Lee Shapiro. We are going to take a break, and when we come back, we'll talk a little bit about how this connects with the art of melting conflict. I'm James Jacobson. This is KAOI. We'll be right back. Conversations with Friends with Murray Omwake is a presentation of Unity on Maui. We are a trans-denominational community and invite you to join us in Sunday morning celebration at 10 a.m. at the Maui Tropical Plantation in Waikapu. Unity also offers children's church and nursery services. If you'd like to join our families of sponsors on Conversations with Friends, please call us at Unity at 242-9327. 
Do you dream of owning a home or consolidating debt with a refinance? Hawaii's premier mortgage company can make your dream of owning your home in paradise a reality, or they can help in the refinance of your existing home with their experience guaranteed lowest rates, exceptional customer service, and a little magic. Premier Mortgage can get you a home loan to fit your needs. To find out about Hawaii's Premier Mortgage various loan programs, call Trisha Morris and the Magicians at either office location. Call Premier Mortgage in Kihei at 874-8800 or in West Maui, call 665-8800. And now, back to Conversations with Friends. I'm James Jacobson, sitting in for Mary Omwake, who is off-island. We are speaking with Lee Shapiro, who is, in addition to... Um, He's Dr. Lee Shapiro, right? What is the doctor? No, no. It's, it's not, a, not a doctor. Some, I Mary, think Mary <laughs> gives you an honorary doctorate. So you get that. If you're on this program enough, you become an honorary doctor. Yes. So it's just Lee Shapiro, who has a website if you want to find out more about it. It's hleeshapiro.com. Right. What's the H? Howard. Howard, okay. And uh, I'm sure you can learn more about his art. He has this amazing watercolor that is actually at um, Unity on High Street mm-hmm. uh, of this dove. Tell me about how that was created because it's such a powerful work. That was an interesting one because when I, I was uh, actually teaching a seminar in Houston and I started this painting and it was it felt tight and wasn't working for me so I just kind of put it away and then one day when I was in an inspired space I pulled it out again and just started splashing color into it and it and it became alive it was very very exciting and then um, we, what we realized after doing that is that art has the possibility, just as I spoke of earlier, uh, on a subtle level, art touches people. Mm-hmm. And people looked at that image and it touched something deep in them that, that helped connect them with their core. What is it that you think makes art evocative? Because some art, as you say, really touches people on a deep level and it mm-hmm. touches a lot of people. And then some other art is, uh, okay. Right. What is it? Well, you know, some art is very conceptual. And some art, I think just the relationship of colors, and it's like when we talked about Sumi'i, the Japanese painting, mm-hmm. that there is an energy that communicates far stronger than the visual images. There is an energy behind it. And this also has that, the same relationship to when we're communicating in relationships because mm-hmm. I believe that uh, the energy of our communication speaks far stronger than the words. You know, I used to think, boy, if I could just use the right words and setting this boundary or whatever, Mm -hmm. that it would work. But it's not that. It's in the energy. And so a big part of the seminar that I teach is about how to get yourself to your center, how to be clear, how to be in your heart, and then allowing your clear communication to come from that place so that your words are congruent with the energy of how you're speaking. Is there a similar process that you would recommend folks go through when they view art? When you go to a museum or you go to a gallery, is there a certain way that you should get into that place so that you can view art? Because, you know, you're seeing all these different paintings and sculptures and different expressions and Uh different styles, and it can sometimes be overwhelming, and you get a sense that, well, the reason it's here, it must really mean something to someone, (laughs) but it doesn't mean a lot to me. Is there a way that you can kind of get into it more? Well, part of it is just contacting your own body of how you're feeling about it, mm-hmm. you know, being aware of of the, uh, oh, just what it touches in you. And, and part of that is developing, cultivating this relationship within yourself with your own subconscious and your feelings. So a lot of art, I think, is, is meant also to evoke feeling mm-hmm. and to be able to contact that feeling and breathe into it. I think is a very powerful thing. And notice what these images touch in you. You know, it's like exploring a dream. And uh, for those of you that have ever explored your dreams with like Jungian, Mm -hmm. uh, the Jungian theory of looking at a dream, you look at every image in the dream, every um, object in the dream as an aspect of yourself. Mm -hmm. Even if it's other people or exterior, yeah. yeah. So if you have a dream that that you're having an interaction with somebody else. What you look at is this other person that you're having an interaction with. That's also a part of you. Mm -hmm. And you say, how does that feel to be that that part of the dream? Mm -hmm. You know, and you explore that and you discover that this is actually an interaction that is a a manifestation of of the subtle um, play that's going on inside of you, Mm -hmm. of one aspect of yourself interacting with another aspect of yourself. 
if someone wants to do some art therapy, mm-hmm. um, how would you recommend that they start? Uh, well, probably finding an art therapist. <laughs> okay. Well, I mean, I'm, and I'm using the word art therapy in terms of this general thing that we've been talking yeah. about, which is really finding that inner artist and, and expressing yourself that way. Uh-huh. Is it, I mean, do you think you can just go to the art supply store and pick up some watercolors or some pens or whatever floats your boat and start yeah. that way? Or? Yeah, I think just just starting to draw, you yeah. know, and that's where I started was just, uh, you know, sketching during boring lectures in college. Right. In fact, I had a really interesting experience. The first time I realized that I could really paint, yeah. uh, I was an engineering student at the University of Michigan. Mm-hmm. and this Getting was, your doctorate. This never was, mind. Never. <laughs> <laughs> and... Um, and I, with the assistance of psychotropics, uh, I was hallucinating boss reliefs on the wall <laughs> in a style of Michelangelo. Yeah. And not knowing I couldn't do it, I took a pencil and started sketching what I was looking Which, at. What you were seeing in your head, yeah. And, uh, and I thought they were pretty good sketches, but I wasn't sure because I remember a previous experience where uh, I had woken up to a room full of rocks that were precious jewels I had found in the parking lot the night before. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I wasn't sure if this was the same kind of thing. And I asked a friend of mine what he thought of these sketches. And he got really excited and he said, these look like Michelangelo's work. Where did you get these? You know, and I, and I realized something had happened the night before where I had transcended my concept of myself, of what I could do and couldn't do. And, and I had contacted, you know, this, this inspired vision. That is amazing. And, and I know it works. There's a woman, a beautiful woman who lives on the West side. Mm-hmm. Um, do you know Alexandra Morrow? No. She's a, she's a friend of mine. She's, very quiet, and probably some folks out here who are listening know about her. She's a, a, an amazing woman. She started the Lina Art League, like, in 1940. Uh-huh. So, and she's responsible to a great extent for all the galleries that are in Lahaina. Uh, and she lives on Front Street in a beautiful home. But she paints. She's definitely a, a, a monk in, in many ways. But her art is so powerful because mm-hmm. her style can be... Monet or Picasso or Renoir or Calder or any of her diversity. And, and it's so powerful because I think in many ways she is channeling yes. the artist, yes. the style, the feeling, the essence of, of, of the, without copying it. It's not like, and it's just powerful. Right. And people who I guess are gifted artists can really tune into that energy. Right, right. So this is, uh, I think, uh, uh, you know, you don't, I mean, I think it helps to integrate the medium to take a class and learn how to use the mm-hmm. watercolor. But once you have done that, then you can get out of your mental mind mm-hmm. and just start letting yourself, I, and that's why I like having my students paint just abstract patterns, you mm-hmm. know. And then there's a certain point at which you start feeling that channeling or that inspired, mm-hmm. in, where inspired comes from in spirit. So this spirit comes through you and starts moving the brush, and it's it's absolutely magical what can happen. And the added benefit is where that brings you, because it's a, for me, it's an ecstatic state of consciousness that I achieve when that's coming through me. And you and you just feel it, and, you, and and that's something that you can bring into your daily life. I would imagine. Absolutely, absolutely. Now you did a book a few years ago, 1990, with Richard Bach, who of yes. course is the um, author of Jonathan Livingston Siegel and many other amazing, powerful books that uh, are bestseller doesn't even begin to describe it. But it was a children's book that you guys collaborated on. It's called right. "There Is No Place." As far away? There's no such place as far away. Tell me about that book. Oh, it's a remarkable book. If you have a chance, it's still in print. And uh, and it's uh, Richard had contacted me about, uh, he had seen my artwork and uh, wanted to meet me and asked me if I wanted to do this book with him. And it did become a bestseller. Oh. And uh, it's it's a children's book, but like his other books, it's very it has its esoteric. You can read it on different levels as well. Yeah. yeah, and I I think it's it's beautifully written, and it's just very exciting. So, if you have a chance to pick it up, please do. In the name of the book again. There's no such place as far away. Okay, let's talk a little bit about this seminar that you're doing here on Friday. It's okay. the art of melting conflict. That's right. What does that mean? Um, well, it's. It's very interesting. I've I've learned to uh, incorporate the ideas of, uh, or the metaphor, if you will, of Aikido. 
Mm-hmm. And it's so when there's conflict, how to be able to resolve that? Because most of us have not learned how to do that very effectively. Mm-hmm. And conflict is part of life. Mm-hmm. But to be able to when that when there is conflict, just like in Aikido, if someone throws a fist at you. Rather than matching that fist and pushing against it, you learn how to blend with the energy mm-hmm. of that. So what does that look like in relationships is to be able to really listen to the other person, to get with them, to see the good reasons why they feel what they feel, which uh, also requires that you do a lot of healing within yourself because if they're attacking you, if you're busy defending yourself, then you're pushing against them. Mm-hmm. But if you're just saying, you know, being able to get with, oh, this here's a fellow human being who's in pain. How does this contrast from um, nonviolent communication? Um, a big part of the work that I'm doing uh, is about establishing that connected state, what we were talking about earlier in art. Mm-hmm. So when, just like in Sumi'i, you get to a connected state. You may meditate for an hour or something, and then very quickly do a brush stroke. Mm-hmm. And that brush stroke carries the essence of that piece, that connected state that you've come to. Mm-hmm. And it's the same with this, that whereas in nonviolent communication, it's a very effective tool of understanding on the mental level what's going on. This is about cultivating that that inner peace, mm-hmm. about cultivating that sense of strength and centeredness, mm-hmm. and then allowing your communication to come from that place. So let's walk through the process, um, and, and I guess it applies to anything, whether it's work or relationships. Or I mean, you can use this dynamic anyway. Absolutely. Um, should we should we do an example, or what, what's a good way of illustrating how how this process works? Sure. So uh, you know, we could do a, a little role play. Let's role play. Okay. What's a good it's radio. <laughs> it's radio theater here. Um, so. What you you set the stage here, and I'll play the role, and 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 everyone who's listening can be our audience. Okay, um, <laughs> let's, let's say that uh, for example, uh, oh, uh, you and I have a friendship, and you want to do, uh, uh, you want to go sailing today, and okay. and I want to do something else, okay. and uh, but. You're feeling powerless about it, and you're feeling like I've always got the power in our friendship. Because you have the boat. Because I've got, yeah, let's say I've got the boat. Okay, let's do it. So, Lee, it's a beautiful day. Let's go sailing. Um, Actually, so actually, what what you might come in with is more aggression. More aggressive. Uh, More aggressive. You know, it's like you always get your way, and we always get to sail, and or, or we always get to do what you want to do, and I really want to go sailing today. Okay. <laughs> Something like that. We'll, we'll try so, it. Right. We'll take two so, here. Right. Hey, Lee, I want to go sailing today, and you. Every time I've wanted to go sailing, you want to. You either you want to go when you want to go, but I can't go, and I want to go sailing today. And you, you, it's your boat, so can we do it? Yeah, actually, I've got some other things that that I was hoping to do today, and, and, and I can see that that's really frustrating for you. And maybe we can find a way where uh, maybe t- maybe tomorrow, let's check the winds, and, and if the winds are good, let's go sailing tomorrow because I'd like for you to, to get out there and sail with me, but it's not going to work for me today. But I get that it's frustrating. I'm picking up that you're, you have a sense of frustration. What's that about? Well, it's just because I feel so... I mean, you're in control. This is your boat. You, it's your schedule. We go sailing when you can go, but I want to go now, and you just have, like, I mean, this is your thing. Yeah, I understand how that feels. Yeah. So what would work for you? Well, maybe if we could look at our schedules into the future and agree on a date that is mutually good for both of us sometime in the future versus these last-minute things when you want to go and I want to go and it's never able to match it up. That sounds great. That sounds great. I'd love to do that with you. Okay, so in that process, what did you do? You were basically, the Aikido was happening where? Well, for one thing, I'm getting with you with the feelings. I'm picking up on the feelings that that are going on for you, and I'm, uh, in a sense of partnership, Mm -hmm. I'm working with that, with Mm -hmm. you, you know, so I'm not in resistance. I'm not Mm -hmm. being defensive. Mm -hmm. I'm not attacking you. And so often when we have conflict, the first reaction that we have is, uh-oh, he's attacking me, so right. I better build up my defenses. Right. Like, yeah. Last week we spoke about being able to feel it in the body to determine where that emotion or that sense is coming from in the body. How, right. how do you do that? Um, 
I think we're really out of touch with our bodies. We're out of touch with our feelings. We've gotten so much conditioning that says you can't feel your feelings, you know, mm-hmm. from an early age. And so uh, part of the reconditioning that we need to do is to stop and through the day check in with our body, check in with our feelings. And I just, you know, if I'm in the shower or something like that, I'll just sort of check in and say, how am I feeling right now? You know, and if I notice... Uh, the answer comes, well, I'm feeling anxious or I'm feeling angry or something like that. I may then focus on breathing into that and ask, you know, what is it that I need to be doing to ta- be taken care of to uh, listen to those parts of myself and to take care of myself in a way? What's really loving in this situation, you know? And so that breathing, the allowing myself to feel the feelings, you know, and so often we go dr- directly into c- shutting that off and going into our mental minds. Mm-hmm. In fact, I noticed that this came up the other day. I was at a lecture that someone was, and a woman was expressing some upset about, uh, oh, uh, that she was aware of the suffering of the women in the Middle East. Mm-hmm. And it was very upsetting to her. Mm-hmm. And the person that was doing the lecture said, started explaining her to her the rules of karma. And I noticed inside, I was, I had this awful feeling in my stomach. It's like, this woman has some very valid, valid feelings here. Yeah. And to go to a belief that may or may not be true, you know, why not just allow her to breathe into those feelings? Because as we are more comfortable mm-hmm. feeling sadness or feeling anxiety and, and being able to breathe into that without losing ourselves in the story around it. And that's, yeah, that's key, the hard, that is hard. Though. That's a key How do you part. avoid losing yourself in the story? Well, part of it is just focusing on where is it I'm feeling it in my body and to allow the energy of that to move without saying, you make me so angry or I'm angry because of this or that or trying to figure out where it came from in this life or a past life or whatever. Mm -hmm. What I may just do is notice I'm feeling it in my right here in my core. Mm-hmm. And if I was to give a sound to it, it might sound like a roar. And I would allow myself to roar with that sound or whatever that sound might be to let it sound but no words. And that, and that How do you get the presence of mind to do that? Because normally when you feel under attack, yeah. it takes quite a mental leap to have enough <laughs> control to say, hmm, I need to step back and see where I'm feeling this in my body. Right. What do you use to trigger that? Well, it's a practice, okay. you know, and the first thing I may do is start, is, is in cultivating that body awareness, the first thing I might say is, boy, I notice this doesn't feel good. Mm-hmm. Uh, I notice I'm feeling defensive right now. You know, I, I may need to take a time out here and to go and, and breathe and center myself and then let's come back together in half an hour or an hour and we can explore some of the issues that are getting touched off here. But right now, I'm. I feel like my energy is totally shrunk in, and I. So it's the I'm, ability to I'm step afraid. back and just to take the discipline and do that. Thomas Jefferson, one of my favorite guys, had a very basic truism. He says, "If you're angry at someone, count to ten. If you're really angry, count to a <laughs> hundred. And it's and it's, and it's that. And I mean, you know, very. That's why he's a founding father. Yeah. And it's a very very basic thing, but it yeah. really applies. Yeah. Sometimes when I'm doing couples counseling, what I may do is have have them and just say let's just sit and and call in and well first of all we need to breathe mm-hmm. so let's contact your feelings let's not be too quick to get rid of those feelings mm-hmm. so let's breathe in those feelings and do the sounding as i spoke of mm-hmm. and then after that i may say what i'd like you to do now is just sit and when you feel a communication or something that you want to say that feels like it's really coming from that core and it's coming from the, an energy of love. Speak that, mm-hmm. and wait till you get to that place. And don't speak until you come to that clear place. So, in theory, you could be sitting in the room with this other person, and just silence is going on. Yes, yes, that's pretty powerful. Yeah, I mean, imagine being in a room with someone who you have a pretty strong disagreement, in, and both being in a place where you can be silent and. Um, feeling it so that you express something that's true and from the heart. And once you've moved the feelings, like one thing, one of the exercises that sometimes people can do if there's an agreement about this is called gibberish. And gibberish is if if the two people are upset and they're both, rather than being like two kids in the sandbox and throwing sand at each other, which you can do with, (laughs) you know, soft bats or something like that. But 
But rather than doing it that, what you do is you stand up and you contact where it is in your body and you let your body move in a crazy way yeah. and you just express the sounds. And it looks so crazy that people end up cracking up. You know, let, and it let, takes, me, let me hear this. Let let's, the let's well, I don't do want to do it on the radio, radio cause it's, it's, it's loud. Expressing it. Just That's expressing powerful. the sounds, yeah. but not the words. And when two people do that, do that together, it it just takes the. It certainly will the diffuse energy. the situation. It diffuses it and, yeah. it, and it moves it away. And, and that's where the role of humor, I guess, is so important. Because yeah. yeah. I would imagine the way you're describing it, it doesn't sound like you could sit there and, and not at least crack a smile if oh. you were going into gibberish mode. It, it's so great. And then you see, oh, this is a fellow human being over yeah. here, and we're both in pain. And you know, and it's our. As, as nurturing parent, you know, that our role together, our partnership is about bringing healing to these wounded parts. And mm-hmm. it's not about pushing away the, the wounded parts or, or trying to uh, sublimate them into oblivion. You know, this is great. These are some of the tools and techniques that Lee will be talking about this uh, Friday, May 5th at the Cinco de Mayo at a workshop that's being held at Unity on Maui on High Street, at that yeah. little sanctuary on High Street. Um, this reminds me of one of the stories I just very quickly. Yeah. One time I was with a friend, and we were in Kauai, and we were. it seemed like everything was very expensive where we were staying, and I was looking for a less expensive restaurant. And my friend said to me, uh, with anger and disgust, she said, uh, boy, you're really being cheap. And that's one of my shadow parts. You mm-hmm. know, we all have parts of ourselves that we feel shame about that we try to push away and hide. And I said to her, you know, that's a part of myself I've had a really hard time making peace with, the part of me that's cheap. And what I would like to ask is your support and my learning to accept that part and not try to shame it away into oblivion. Mm. And it totally shifted the energy. I, I bet she felt bad. Yeah, on. I bet it, it changed it so that you didn't, I mean, you were acknowledging something that you thought was your shadow. Right. And at the same time, she no longer could feel comfortable calling you on it. Well, I was putting out a straight request of yeah. what I was wanting from her, and I wasn't getting def- usually in the situation like defensive. that when we're defensive. We say, "Oh yeah, well I'm paying for the meal," or yeah. "What about the time when you did this or that?" Yeah. or you know all these defensive reactions. But it's like, yeah, that's a part of my shadow. Yeah. You know, I have a hard time accepting that part. Yeah. So, that's powerful stuff. Yeah, yeah. And this is the type of stuff that will be talked about this Friday. Absolutely. Okay. Yes. And the, the workshop goes from 6.30 until 9.30. Right. At Unity on High Street. Uh, $20 in advance, $25 at the door. That's right. And uh, you should check it out. We're going to take a break, but when we come back, some more conversation. I'm James Jacobson, and this is Conversations with... Conversations with Friends with Murray Omwake is a presentation of Unity on Maui. We are a trans-denominational community and invite you to join us in Sunday morning celebration at 10 a.m. at the Maui Tropical Plantation in Waikapu. Unity also offers children's church and nursery services. If you'd like to join our families of sponsors on Conversations with Friends, please call us at Unity at 242-9327. Do you dream of owning a home or consolidating debt with the refinance? Hawaii's premier mortgage company can make your dream of owning your home in paradise a reality, or they can help in the refinance of your existing home with their experience guaranteed lowest rates, exceptional customer service, and a little magic. Premier Mortgage can get you a home loan to fit your needs. To find out about Hawaii's premier mortgage various loan programs, call Trisha Morris and the Magicians at either office location. Call Premier Mortgage in Kihei at 874-8800 or in West Maui, call 665-8800. And now, back to Conversations with Friends. James Jacobson with you on Conversations with Friends. want to let you know about a couple things that are happening at Unity Church this week. One is a five-step prayer program with Christine Warner. It starts, it's a four, per, four-week program. It starts on Wednesday, May 3rd, tomorrow, um, from 645. I like the precision of that because, you know, I don't know what that means, Maui time. But it starts at 645 and it goes until 815. It's a four-week program. 
And it's a very powerful program. Christine is an amazing teacher of this prayer process. And there really is a prayer process that is taught both in unity and in science of mind. It's powerful. You'll learn a surefire recipe for prayer. You'll learn how to pray effectively, pray so that your prayers are answered. And the overall key is that it'll be a better connection with God through this prayer process. It's a Program starts Wednesday next, uh, tomorrow at uh, 645 at Unity on Maui. And then, of course, this Friday, The Art of Melting Conflict with Lee Shapiro, who is our guest in the studio today, May 5th from 630 until 930. Um, Lee, we were talking at the break a little bit about the power of listening. Yes. Tell me about yes. that. You know, it's interesting. This week, uh, they had the movie White Men Can't Jump on television. Uh, have you ever seen that movie? No. It's oh, it, it's an amazing movie. Um and it's but there's a scene in it when uh uh Woody Harrelson the, the character he's mm-hmm. playing um is with his girlfriend and she gets up in the middle of the night and she says I'm thirsty and he gets up and gets her a glass of water and brings her the glass of water and she says I don't want you to get me a glass of water I just want you to empathize and say I too have been thirsty and I know what it's like. And I think that that uh, it was it was very funny the, right. the situation, but a lot of times we as men especially are taught that it's our job to take care of someone else's feelings. I'm a I'm a problem fixer, as George Bush would say. Right. You mean, the idea is you know you just I mean that's when I, I as a man feel like you know when 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 my um, fiance expresses <laughs> uh, something you know I have to I have to go solve the problem right and I guess in many cases that's not what women want right. they just want to us to empathize right with it. And, and there's a wonderful piece that I uh, like to share with people in yeah. my seminar it's called listen when I ask you to listen to me and you start giving advice you've not done what I asked when I ask you to listen to me and you begin to tell me why I shouldn't feel that way, you are trampling on my feelings. When I ask you to listen to me and you feel you have to do something to solve my problem, you have failed me, strange as that may seem. Mm. Listen, all I ask was that you listen, not to talk or to do, just hear me. Advice is cheap. 25 cents will get you both Dear Abby and Billy Graham in the same newspaper. And I can do for myself. I'm not helpless. Maybe discouraged and faltering, but not helpless. When you do something for me that I can and need to do for myself, you contribute to my fear and weakness. But when you accept as a simple fact that I do feel what I feel, no matter how irrational, it may be easier for me to quit trying to convince you and I can get about the business of understanding what's behind this seemingly irrational feeling. Hmm. And when that's clear, the answers are obvious and I don't need advice. Feelings make sense and are respectable when we understand what's behind them. Those who care enough to just listen communicate that they have the faith that you can work things out for yourself. So please listen and just hear me. And if you want to talk, wait a minute for your turn and I'll listen to you. That is Isn't powerful. That Who wrote that? I don't know. I, someone named Anonymous. Anonymous. Well, <laughs> yeah, that, that Anonymous person gets around and does some amazing stuff. Yeah, yeah. That is really powerful. And do you think that it is such a gender, a genderification that that is the way it happens in America or, or the world and in, in Western culture where men are wanting to solve problems and we just don't listen? I think that that's uh, a, a real problem. And very few of us have really had the gift of someone that can truly listen, truly yeah. hear us, truly get with us is the expression I like to have. Yeah. And uh, so sometimes when people are uh, in conflict, what I recommend is that they stop what they're doing and one person, they take five minutes each and one person just listens and with no, uh, and you don't even need to give feedback. Active listening is where you communicate that you're hearing mm-hmm. the feelings hear underneath what, yeah. what they're saying but just listening just hearing just getting with them and energetically when you feel heard whatever even though what you may be s- expressing is coming from a place that's unclear or muddled or something like that somehow just saying it releases it we've had some guests on this program who've talked about relationship uh therapy and and, and um one of the great techniques that they shared is 
this concept of a haircut, and it can be a prescribed length of time. Mm-hmm. Can I just give you a haircut for two minutes or three minutes or two? Mi- and generally, these small periods of time, you think, well, it feels like I'm limiting. Basically, if you can't get it off your chest and say it in two minutes, you're basically repeating yourself. Right. And so just about anyone can agree to say, okay, I will listen. I will be quietly, actively listen. How right. is that? Uh, without commenting for two or three minutes. And right. that is a pretty powerful thing. Right. And also focusing on not taking it personally. Focusing, and sometimes what I may, if, if there's a situation where I'm doing counseling and, and the couple has some complaints with each other, yeah. rather than directing the energy at each other, I may have one person be the observer and have that person who has something to say speak to an empty chair as if it was that person. And that way the energy is not coming at them and they can just see that you know, where it's that this, oh, I see this person is heard about something and it's much easier for them to hear when it's not attacking them. I know for myself, when I feel attacked subconsciously, as much as I'm trying to listen, oftentimes this armor comes up over my heart, Mm -hmm. you know, and this protection. Mm -hmm. And and my partner, and I could repeat the words right back to them, exactly what they've (laughs) said, but they did not feel heard because energetically I'm in resistance. I'm in aversion to what they're saying. And people pick that up on, on a non-verbal level. On a subtle level, level yeah. they pick that up. That's right. Lee, you are truly a Renaissance man. Uh, you um, spend <laughs> half of your year in uh, Aspen, That's half right. of your year in Maui. In fact, you're getting ready, I guess, now that it's starting to get into the summer, you're getting ready to head to Colorado. Right. Um, and you're an artist and uh, a, a painter, and you teach these classes, and I don't know what else you do. What What is it I that... I play a lot. You play a lot. You, <laughs> have, you have a good life. What is it that is your daily practice? I'm always fascinated what it is that people do on a daily level. What's your daily spiritual practice that you be either begin the day with or end the day with? Is there something that is pretty common that you do every day? Well, one thing that's really important for me is connecting in, to nature, in some way, to uh, whether it be jumping in the ocean or walking in a forest or whatever, that just taking time. A lot of time, a lot of times, people get so focused on getting the job done, and they mm-hmm. don't take the time to get quiet. Mm-hmm. You know, and and for some people, meditating mm-hmm. is is the appropriate vehicle. But Especially meditating with your dog or cat. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. No, but do you do you have meditation practice? I uh, it's more of an active meditation, mm-hmm. like kayaking mm-hmm. or something where I'm moving, or yoga where mm-hmm. I'm moving my body. Do you spend time in the silence? Yes, I uh, I do try to focus on being silent. You know, it's uh, if you're going to have something to think about sometimes you have to stop the mind just as if you're going to have something to talk about sometimes you have to stop talking and listen to the other person uh, in the same way to get to the silence inside and tune into that frequency of peace inside you can uh, have some wonderful things revealed to you do you do um, any sort of continual continuing education I mean do you read a lot do you listen to audio books what is it that what is it above. that you do to stimulate your mind? <laughs> yeah, um, I think some of my favorite books are The Material of Eckhart Tolle. Yeah. The Power of Now and The New One. Uh, the, the, the New, New Earth. Earth. The New Earth, yeah. Yeah. And uh, in fact, there's a group uh, that listens to tapes uh, of Eckhart Tolle every Monday night. And I really, I really like his material. Ma- in Maui Meadows, right? In Maui Meadows, yeah, right. Yeah. And uh, I, I really like his material because it's. There's not a lot of belief in it. It's just about what works, mm-hmm. you know, and it's about getting quiet. It's a, this stuff that we've been talking about in a way. It's about getting out of our conceptual mental mind and into the quiet of our inspired mind. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that there's just a huge amount that's available to all of us. That Just like that earlier experience that I spoke of, I think I was able to contact the collective unconscious that that Jung spoke of that and I think all of us can do that we can access and know so much more and that we are so much more than we think we are how are you is this a, a continuing education process in other words have you mastered that or is it something that you do <laughs> and then you slip back and you do and you slip back it's I definitely am human and I slip back and uh, you know living in the moment is about 
connecting non-judgmentally with whatever is going on. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, yeah, there's times I get in this great connected place and I think I've arrived. Mm-hmm. I don't, you know, I, I'm in life, whatever. And, right. and I feel this energy pulsing through my body. And then the next morning, I may wake up and, and something else would be touched off. And I'm, you know, I feel like I'm a four year old kid and I'm sad about something or afraid or something. So learning to accommodate that part as well, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, so, I'm kind of suspect when I hear people talking about getting to enlightenment because I think all the juice is just about being here right now. You know, Alan Watts has a great metaphor that he spoke of. He said that uh, life is like music and that the point of it is not the destination. Mm. If that were the case, the best orchestras could be would be those that could get to the end of the piece the fastest. <laughs> <laughs> you know? And get to the applause. Well, I mean, we were talking earlier about the road to Hana. We live with such a metaphor right here yeah. on this most beautiful <laughs> island in the middle of the Pacific. Yeah. And uh, whether you are a tourist or someone who lives here, I am sure you've experienced that, that concept of really taking the journey and enjoying the process of getting to Hana. Because when you get there... So much there. <laughs> Turn around and go back. <laughs> I want to uh, leave us with a few uh, words. Uh, one is the, the Daily Word, which is a publication that comes out from Unity Village every month. And today's word is um, completion. My faith in God is full and complete. A career change, a move to a new home, a retirement, or a graduation can signal the end of one stage of life and the beginning of another. Before embarking on the new course my life is taking, I take a moment to reflect on the completion of this phase and on God's spirit that brought me to this turning point. That's a beautiful sentiment. And what is so great about this little book, some people call it a little bathroom book, is that there are these (laughs) phrases every day with a meditation and a Bible verse. And you can get a copy of The Daily Word just by calling Unity. And uh, we'll send you one. And and the phone number number is is 242 Nine three two seven two four two nine three two seven, and I want to again let folks know about your workshop this Friday on melting conflict, which is at six thirty. Six thirty. Six thirty to nine thirty. Three hours, an amazing program, and you heard some of the techniques, whether it's gibberish or listening, <laughs> and uh, and Lee will be sharing all of those this Friday, and it's uh, a good way to, to celebrate Cinco de Mayo and then perhaps go out and get a margarita afterwards. <laughs> uh, that's at Unity on High Street. And again, you can just call our number at 242-9327 to sign up. It's $20 in advance, $25 at the door. And then tomorrow night, there is the five-step prayer process, which is a wonderful program that Christine Warner teaches, and it helps you develop a prayer process that works. I mean, a lot of folks say, I pray to God and it just doesn't happen. But there are some key elements. People have studied it. There actually is a science to prayer. And that's what Christine is going to be uh, teaching in this four-week program. It starts Wednesday, May 3rd, tomorrow. It's I love this time, 645 to 815. It's $60 for the four-week program. And if you can't make all of it, I'm sure it's uh, prorated. But it's an amazing opportunity to, to learn to connect better with God using a very simple prayer process, but one that works for lots of people, including myself. Uh, Unity on Maui invites you to join us this Sunday and every Sunday at the Maui Tropical Plantation. Our services begin at... Um, at 10 o'clock, but 9.30, join us in the silence. Mary Omwake will be back on island this Sunday um, and, of course, behind this microphone next Tuesday for another episode of Conversations with Friends. I want to invite you to join us um, on the Internet. We have a website, conversationswithfriends.com, where you can hear replays of this program or any other program. And if you're into podcasting and have an iPod, you can get that as well. I'm Jim Jacobson. We'll be back next week. Aloha. The Island's Best Talk, KAOI, 1110 AM, Kihei.